This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, edgy folk. I hope you can hear me. I'm just double checking that all is coming through loud and clear. I hope so. Um, what day is it? It is Tuesday. It is the late show. It is the 21st of November, and you are with me. Oh, all clear from Admin. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, yep, we are here. Sorry, I've lost my train of thought already. Let's start again, shall we? It's Tuesday. It's the Late Show. You're here with me, Lucy Newberger. As always, it's been an interesting time recently. I mean, we are getting ever closer to Christmas, aren't we? And uh, it, I mean, it. you know, it's not my favourite time of year. So I'm not going to dwell on it too much. All I should tell you is that um, the song rehearsals are carrying on in earnest. I can see various nativity things coming up on Twitter from various teachers who are already despairing, trying to get the donkey to stand still and the, um, you know, Mary and Joseph to look at each other rather than be disgusted by each other because, you know, five-year-olds are always disgusted by each other. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year, is it not? Anyway, I digress hugely because this evening's show is one that I am very very excited about it's a very important topic that I would love to tell you I sort out myself as I often do with the topics and stories that I cover on my show but actually this one found Teachers Talk Radio and I'm so glad that it did uh, in a moment, we are going to bring on this evening's guest, Joe Seaton, who is the founder of At Risk Teachers. And I'm not going to actually give you too much of an introduction here. And I promised Joe that I wouldn't because we've got so much to get through this evening on this on this topic. And we've got the expert here with us. So it seems silly of me to to talk anymore. And so without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to this evening's guest, Joe Seaton. Joe, can you hear me? You will need to unmute yourself if you can. Hello, Lucy. Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me all right? I can. And we've got everything to work, which is which is great. So I'm I'm so proud that all of this, that we've managed to pull it all off. Everyone's here. We're all together and ready to go. So this is going swimmingly so far. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for your help getting set up. Oh, gosh, no problem at all. And welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. Um, I'm glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here. And um, we have got a, a very important discussion to have this evening. So I think it's important, Joe, before we go any further on this, that you introduce who you are and um, what At-Risk Teachers is all about. Okay, thank you, Lucy. Yeah, I'm Joe Seaton, and I used to work at British Council Afghanistan for nearly four years between 2016 and 2020. Um, and I left Afghanistan and came back to the UK. And then um, I started to hear from a number of colleagues I'd worked with as the Taliban uh, began to take hold of, of the country in 2021, that they were in real danger and it seemed that they were being left behind. And um, so as more and more of them contacted me, it seemed that they really needed support um, because they weren't being heard, they didn't have a voice, and they were realizing that they were being left behind uh, in a hostile country in real danger. 
as a result of the work that they'd done for the British Council. So um, I established the at-risk teachers campaign to support um, over 100 colleagues I trained, managed and worked alongside during the time that I was in Afghanistan. So, so that's a little bit of background on the at-risk teachers campaign, why it exists and um, why it's been running for the last two years. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. On the 24th to the 26th of January, 2024, Bet UK is back and even better for educators. New for 2024, Table Talks empowers educators to collaborate openly and connect deeply with like-minded individuals in the education space, as well as tech user labs, the brilliant new tutorials and working groups at BET, where technology users will learn how to get more out of their institution's tech from the top education technology experts in the world. Whatever your goal, you'll find it at BET 2024. Educators go free. Get your tickets today at www.uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. Yeah, because this is something that you've been deeply involved with for a long time. I mean, it's been, I know that we've talked prior to this. I mean, it's been a huge part of, of your life, but I'm just wondering because this is not something that you woke up one day um, and turned into a passion project. You've been deeply involved with uh, British Council yourself and uh, with these teachers from from the start. I wonder, can you explain to to those listening kind of just a brief story as to how, as to your time, because I know you spent time um, in Afghanistan as well. Yeah, so I'd worked for the British Council and a few other posts in Qatar and South Sudan and uh, then took the role in Afghanistan, which was a very interesting role, you know, and I was really lucky to to work for the British Council in Afghanistan. Um, I took the role in 2016. It was something completely different to anything I'd done before. I had worked in a hostile environment before. Um, some postings the British Council have and the Foreign Office have are called... Um, hostile environments or fragile and hostile environments because they're dangerous places to work and Afghanistan was right at the top of that list of hostile environments so I'd worked in one before in South Sudan but when the Afghanistan came job came up I applied for that and um, took that job in 2016 and um, yeah I worked there for the next nearly four years um, in various different roles uh, and it really was interesting and a real privilege to be involved with the programs there 
but also tragic how things turned out for many of the teachers who I trained, managed and, and worked alongside. And because I know, again, we, we've talked about this as well, you, you mentioned to me that you felt like that you were sort of living one way and that the teachers that you were working with, that, that you were training, were living in a, in a very, living and being treated in a very different way, even in your time in Afghanistan. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, from, from the moment I arrived, I, it was a completely different life to anything I'd ever known before because it was a complete security environment. Um, I said I'd worked in South Sudan, which was a hostile environment and dangerous, but before I went there, I hadn't had, um, you know, UK foreign office training on um, how to survive in um, fragile and hostile environments. Um, before I went to Afghanistan, I got this, you know, uh, really high level training on various aspects of working in a hostile environment, obviously taught all about um, armored vehicles, body armor, what to do in various different terror scenarios and things like that. I mean, nothing prepares you for the real thing like being there, but certainly I've got a lot of preparation, uh, high level preparation for going there. And then from the moment I arrived, you know, everywhere I went, I was um, uh, escorted by security staff. I was um, moved around in um, Ministry of Defense helicopters or embassy um, armored vehicles with uh, accompanying security guards, things like that, to make sure I was safe at all times. And they were on the rare occasions when I was allowed out of the embassy to away from the embassy compound to visit a program we were delivering or to meet with a, a government minister or something like that. But most of the time, because everyone recognized the security situation was so so dangerous, most of the time I was kept within the British Embassy compound, uh, you know, in, in the British Council uh, compound, within the British Embassy compound, um, surrounded by blast walls, security doors, security guards with machine guns, because everybody knew how dangerous the situation was in Afghanistan. So I, I was given, you know, really good treatment in order to ensure that I was safe because everybody was aware how dangerous Afghanistan was and how dangerous it was for those involved with the British Council. So um, the British Council being a target of Taliban hostility isn't something new. Um, and I was aware before I arrived in 2016 of, of attacks that I'd heard about on the British Council in Afghanistan. In 2011, there was a complex, complex Taliban attack on the British Council compound, which at the time was outside of the British Embassy in, in Kabul city. Um, that was a tragic attack, which I think was responsible for, I think, the deaths of 17 people. That includes the, the, the guards and the attackers and various other victims of that attack. And it was after that tragic attack that the British Council um, then decided they had to move on to the British Embassy compound to be safer because the, the British Embassy compound was much more secure. Since, since that attack, there were then other attacks. In 2014, a British Council um, employee was killed in a shooting in Kabul. And in 2015, a British Council study centre in Kandahar was attacked um, with uh, by the Taliban in another complex attack. And so the British Council have always been, or for a long time, have been Taliban targets. And I was afforded great security for me personally while I was there and that that made it okay for me to be there. Um, so for me personally, the security situation, although it was always dangerous, the British Council and the British government went out of their way 
to make sure I was safe because they knew how dangerous the country was and how dangerous the country was for anyone associated with the British Council. Sorry, does that answer your question, Lucy? That, no, 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 absolutely, no, it absolutely does. And I mean, uh, what I was going to ask as well is, I mean, despite knowing all of these things that have gone on in, in the time prior to, to you going, you, you still went ahead, you still carried on and uh, you were afforded uh, this uh, this very secure sort of passage through to do what you what you needed to do and what you were doing on a on a daily basis. But I'm almost kind of because I I mean I have never experienced anything anything like this, and I don't know if anybody listening has. I mean, as you know from from our discussions, I mean my sort of teaching career is almost the the complete opposite. I mean I'm working at you know a cozy international school in in Portugal and my my day-to-day if I were to describe it to you is relatively uninteresting um I mean I I take myself to work and there's there's no I'm not I'm not fearing uh for for my safety you know as a as a as a lone woman I can I can go to work and mind my business and no one's going to to bother me to get into my way or challenge me on that um but I mean, day to day, what what did this look like? I know you've kind of ch- touched on sort of bits of it, but I mean, from the are we talking from the moment you sort of stepped out of bed in the morning, you're uh, you're chaperoned, or was it not quite as as extreme as that? Um, we had a British Council security guard who lived in our little tiny compound, and then there were also guards twenty four seven within our in within our little tiny compound, and security doors. You know, the first um, first day I arrived. Um, I was picked up firstly in the helicopter ride, then the armored vehicle ride to take me to the British embassy. Uh, and then the British council security guard took me into our little compound, past the guards with machine guns through the security check lobby. And then they gave me, uh, you know, the two ID cards and security cards to get me into our building. And then they took me upstairs. And the first night I was actually sleeping in the safe room because my bedroom was being painted. But we had safe rooms on each floor so that if there was an attack, we could theoretically retreat to the safe room and hopefully survive for longer in the safe room. Um, but my guard, yeah, he, you know, he wasn't on the same corridor as me when I went to bed, but he was always just around the corner. He was a, you know, a former UK um, soldier, uh, as were all the security guards who escorted us if we had to go out. And then we had Gurkha security guards also guarding us within the British Council enclave and all across the compound. So there was a constant guard present, presence, all with, um, you know, all, all gun-carrying guards all around us at all times. And, um, yeah, I could move freely around the embassy unless there was a security alert or a bomb scare, in which case the sirens would sound and the um, loudspeakers would go off saying, get to hard cover as quickly as possible. Hard cover is anywhere where you should be safer if there is bullets or shrapnel flying, I don't know how much it would protect you if there was a bomb blast, but it's something more like a building. Um, so if you can't get to hardcover, you're, you're, you're instructed to just dive down on the floor, but otherwise get to hardcover like a building and then put your body armor on and let's hope this security threat passes. But day-to-day life, yeah, everybody got on with it and you get used to living in a hostile environment, but there's the constant threat that at any moment there will be a security alert and you'll have to stop whatever you're doing get to hardcover, perhaps put your body armor on, go to the safe room and wait to be told it's safe now. You can go back to what you're doing before. And of course, I mean, this is just even almost before 
you get started in doing what you were doing out there, which is working alongside training teachers, all all of that. And I'm certainly not trying trying to make light of that, but of course, you were there to do a job. Ultimately, it's you were you were sent for a purpose. So even though you've got all of this going through your head, all of the uh, procedures that you're having to go through on a daily basis, there was still at the core of it uh, a day to day job that was happening. I mean, were you holding, was it sort of more seminars, classes? I mean, how, how did it work when it worked? Yeah, you're right. And it, it took, I think it took anyone new who arrived quite a while to get their head around the security situation, adapt to that, and then actually get on with the nuts and bolts of their everyday job. Um, and it took me a bit of time. Um, when I first arrived, the role I'd applied for was um, head of teacher development. And initially I was expecting to be delivering lots of teacher training. I was pretty much aware that I wouldn't be going off the compound much and more that trainees, uh, either our employees, the teachers we employed or new teachers we were hoping to employ, or more broadly, other teachers from across the country would be coming in to see me to get training in groups, um, which they could then cascade to other teachers around the country. Pretty soon it became clear that my role had changed and, and British Council had uh, different plans in mind and said, your, your role is much broader. We want you to manage all the English programs and continue with some teacher training, but more broadly, program manage all the programs. And then variously, this role changed to senior program manager and deputy director. But all the time I was there, I was responsible for at least some teacher training and staff development. And yes, this was done either by me or by colleagues in the British Council building, and then disseminated through our programs across the country so that as many people as possible could benefit from the, the education programs we were trying to deliver, you know, in a cascade model, because it was uh, safer, obviously much safer for, for local staff to go out into the community and deliver the training. And in sort of broad strokes, what, I mean, I know there's kind of a, a variety of programs going on, but what were, what were, what was the focus? What were British Council kind of trying to achieve in putting these programs out through and in countries like Afghanistan? Yeah, great. So, so, uh, broadly on one level, it's sort of education for development objective for, for the British Council um, to help um, Afghanistan, you know, develop and, and the, the population become more educated. And there was also a more um, strategic objective. Uh, and we'll come on to that in a minute. Um, but in terms of our programs, we had programs uh, across the country with English study centers across the country, where learners could come for training courses, they could come to use uh, our books, our resources, our teacher training resources. They could go online in these centres. And these were British, British Council study centres. I think we had them in 19 of the 24 provinces across the country. And we did, delivered lots of training through these sort of outposts, these British Council study centres. Um, we, we often had them um, stationed in teacher training colleges across the country. And although British Council was big on branding, um, we didn't tend to brand the outside of these um, study centres because that would have made them a target again. Um, as well as that, we had large-scale programmes with the UK Ministry of Defence who were working with the Afghan National Army. Um, the British the British Army were working with the Afghan National Army to, to make them, to hopefully enable them to be more able to withstand uh, terrorist or Taliban activity within the country, which made sense. And for the Afghan army to to work more effectively with the British army, um, it was it was you know much more possible if they could speak English. So we, the Ministry of Defence were giving us a million pounds a year 
to deliver training to cadets and Afghan National Army senior officers and um, senior officials. Then while I was there, the Department for International Development, which is obviously now part of the FCDO, um, came to us with with a large sum of money, £4.5 million, which was a lot for the British Council in those days, to set up a big countrywide education program to teach Afghan school teachers, Afghan civil servants, and Afghan religious leaders. And this program came to be known as the English for Afghans program. And it benefited hundreds of thousands of school children and thousands of uh, hundreds of teachers, civil servants, and religious leaders throughout the country. And in order for us to secure this funding from the Department for International Development, we had to show that our activity contributed to the UK foreign policy objectives of countering violent extremism, or CBE, as it was referred to by the Foreign Office. So I was responsible for writing the proposal for this program so that we could get the funding, and we needed a theory of change to show how our activity in country would contribute to countering violent extremism. And as long as we could show how that would happen, they would be prepared to give us the funding to deliver this large-scale program. And part of the way it was seen that we could ensure that the program contributed to countering violent extremism was by the, the target audience it benefited. So we couldn't just deliver it to schools. It had to also go to civil servants, in various um, government ministries, and it also had to go to religious leaders. So already you can see the content or, or the target audience was quite sensitive and controversial in some ways. And as well as this, according to the British Council, we had to include modules on UK values, including equality, diversity, and inclusion. And the idea that the British Council and the Department of International Development believe was that by us um, sort of sharing and putting forward these UK values, this would help Afghanistan to become a more moderate and stable country, and it would contribute to um, greater peace within Afghanistan, the region, the world, and therefore the UK, and all contribute to countering violent extremism. So sorry for that quite long-winded answer. No, it's there was no, that, a more, was more strategic aim to what we were doing, and then the people on the ground who were delivering that work were all the teachers we employed to do our work on the ground. So I was in the British Council office, fairly safe on the British Embassy, with approximately 30 local uh, other local Afghans who were programme managers and office staff. And we were all fairly safe on inside the British Embassy compound. And then all the teachers who delivered our programmes and the teachers who had to do the teacher training, teach English, or teach UK values, including equality, diversity, inclusion, to various different groups, they were on the outside, publicly facing, and recognisable, and known to be working for the British and delivering programmes for the British. So we we had a, a variety of a variety of programmes. We had a variety of other programmes. We had digital programmes where. Some of our teachers would appear on live Facebook and YouTube shows, which had large audiences. We had active citizens programs, connecting classroom programs, all sorts of, of other programs of different sizes. But certainly our activity with the Ministry of Defence and our program for the Department for International Development, the English for Afghans program, were two of our very big programs and two of our programs which were quite controversial or sensitive in various different ways and certainly 
put the teachers at risk in various different ways. Almost oh, definitely. And uh, just coming back to, because um, I was uh, going to ask you about British values, but you 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 got there before before I did, because I know uh, people listening and myself included have various thoughts on the whole British values thing. I'm fairly sure it's come up in multiple shows that we've done in, in different ways. We've debated about it. I think either it might have even um, been a feature on Star from 101 at one point, uh, Nathan or Tom will be able to confirm or I think that's a confirmation from admin over there. Um, it's quite a bold uh, move in a way to to sort of suggest that uh, sort of instilling or using British values to uh, calm and, and alleviate situations somewhere that's thousands and thousands of miles away. I just wonder your uh, your feelings on that because it's it, we talk about them as, as British values. I mean, and, and in a lot of ways we've described them in the past as almost kind of universal values. Are they really British? So promoting something that I suppose has got a, a British in the front of it in somewhere like Afghanistan, did, did you ever kind of think to yourself, oh, this is a bit... Yeah, a bit of a bold choice. Yeah, we we were keen to teach, uh, to have an equality, diversity, inclusion module at all in our programs. And we did try to protest this, but it was stated that this was essential to have this component within the programs in order to win the funding, because having this component ensured that the programs in some way contributed to countering violent extremism and the UK foreign policy objectives at the time. So delivering to people, to audiences like, sorry, cohorts like civil servants or religious leaders was one way in which the programs ensured that they contributed to countering violent extremism. And the other way that that it was ensured the programs contributed to this was in the fact that we were teaching uh, modules on equality, diversity and inclusion. And yes, you know, this was discussed at length in the staff room and with the teachers who had to deliver it. But we were told we had no choice. This had to be done in order to ensure that the funding was uh, confirmed and that the programs could run. So everyone was reluctant about that aspect. And I, I completely understood why, because while, you know, someone might not particularly want to teach values in the UK, um, you feel like you're on fairly safe ground with a lot of the values that are suggested, but in Afghanistan, uh, and especially, um, you know, just in, in, in general in Afghanistan, the values that a lot of people accept in the UK are completely not acceptable. And especially, uh, you know, amongst the Taliban regime, they've got a very different set of values and a very different set of beliefs to the, you know, British values and the, the values of equality, diversity, inclusion that we were promoting. So you're absolutely right. It really was a controversial issue. And it was, it was slightly put to one side or brushed under the carpet at the time. But I think that, you know, once the Taliban took over Afghanistan, um, you know, it really came home again to all the teachers and everyone connected with the British Council in Afghanistan. What a big deal it was that, you know, they were given, they were tasked with teaching, among other things, equality, diversity and inclusion to to um, people across Afghanistan and the, and the danger that put them in. Well, yeah, I mean, it just... It... Because I remember again when I when I sort of shouted you beforehand and you, and you mentioned the the, the involvement of, of British values, uh, my my ears certainly pricked up, and so I wanted to to unpack that a little more. But I I mean as as you have as you have said, it clearly wasn't wasn't the most popular approach. But when you are I suppose under instruction from an organisation and you've got targets to fulfil and and the such like, then 
you have to you have to proceed in in the way in which you are told to do so and that's kind of it really i i guess um i'm just going to pause at this moment to remind you that this show is brought to you in partnership with john cat educational publishing professional development books and resources and they um well john cat are wonderful to be honest they have a whole variety of books and it's coming up to christmas so if you would like to get something for the teacher in your life or just treat yourself it really is up to you we have a lovely discount code for you so listen very carefully uh, it is jcttr2324 altogether and those letters are in capitals not in lowercase and that gets you 20% off your order so you know even more reason to treat yourself and if you want to have a look through the wide selection of books then you need to go to johncatbookshop.com i know we've also got some shows coming up because there are some new releases coming out so look out for those in the near future too many brilliant ones to list but uh yeah they are coming up certainly before i think there'll be a couple before the end of the year and maybe some going into the new year as well so that's that for you so joe we've Coming back to to you, we have sort of painted a picture so far of, you know, who you are and what you were doing out in Afghanistan, um, how it all worked, the fact that uh, you um, were in a very secure environment, whereas some of the teachers and the people that you were working alongside were kind of out in the field and so were um, infinitely more at risk than you were. But it was working, it was functioning, and... You you first went out, was it 2015 or 2016? Yeah, 2016, yeah. And uh, how long were you out there for? I was there for nearly four, well, three and a half, nearly four years. I think when the pandemic took hold, then suddenly they said that almost everyone had to leave the embassy and, and things came to an end for me then. So, yeah, till till March 2020. So I mean, so so a good a good chunk of time. And, and in that time, would you say by and large things worked fairly well i mean of course as well as they can it sounds ridiculous what i'm saying but as well as they can in the environment that you were in yeah there was constantly security uh situations which interrupted our activity significantly um, and we all learned to live with those but regardless of that myself and everyone involved in the programs felt that they were a real success and was proud to be involved with them and felt they were doing something worthwhile to benefit the the local Afghan population. So, yeah, all the time I was there, I um, felt like it was really beneficial work. I felt like it was working and, and I believed in what I was doing. Yeah. So, yes. So 2020, you you leave, you head back to, to the UK? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And of course, I mean, we don't eat. I mean, it's still very fresh in our memories. The the pandemic sets in. We're told to stay at home. Uh, chaos is reigning. I mean, everywhere. And it's a very strange time and a time that we we reflect on a lot. Certainly here on Teachers Talk Radio, it comes up. It comes up a lot, even though we try to sort of suppress it a little bit. But I kind of I want to take you now to. 2021 to when the situation in Afghanistan became even more complex, became very, very complicated. And where you were when you found out that everything had had uh, gone wrong. Yeah, so I'd um, I'd come back and I they owed me a nine months leave. So I pretty much, you know, when I got back to the UK in the in the pandemic, I went straight on to leave. 
and then took redundancy at the end of uh, 2020 and had sort of kind of left the whole thing behind and forgotten about, you know, still remembered my colleagues there fondly and stuff and heard from people from time to time. But uh, things have gone fairly quiet. And then in in um, sort of uh, spring of 2021, uh, I heard whispers that, you know, some of my former colleagues in the office had had confirmation that they were being relocated to, the, that they'd been approved for relocation to the UK under the UK government's ARAP scheme. And ARAP stands for Afghan Relocation and Assistance Programme, which was a UK government scheme set up to relocate Afghans who assisted who had assisted the UK effort in Afghanistan and I just thought nothing of it I was just aware that that, that was available to them and then in in a sort of May of 2021 things were getting uh, much more tense in Afghanistan and the Taliban were really gaining a foothold and gaining strength in some provincial areas and that's when I first started to hear from some of the teachers I trained and managed to say oh you know what what's going on We've heard about this ARAP scheme and we've told we've been told we're not eligible. It's only for the the managers and the office staff. It's not for the teachers. And I was like, bit, you know, initially a bit dismissive. I said, oh, you know, contact the British Council or contact the, the Foreign Office. I'm sure they can help. I, I've left, you know, I'm not I'm not connected with any of this anymore. I, I don't have any power to to help you. I'm sure they'll sort it out. And they they, you know, continue to say, oh, no, they're they're ignoring us. They're not helping us. And more and more, as, as, as May went into June and then July, you know, um, more and more of the teachers had contacted me. And I'd contacted some contacts that I had on the British Embassy, especially within the British Council, to ask questions. But I'd generally been told to stay out of it. It wasn't my business and that the teachers weren't eligible for the scheme. And it sounded so strange to me. It just sounded wrong. I was sure it must be a mistake. And more and more teachers were contacting me and they kept saying the same thing. They kept saying, you're our only hope, um, which I found so bizarre because I thought, I've left the organization. I'm nothing to do with the British Council anymore. Surely there's someone in the organization who, who can help you here because I'm not connected with it anymore. And I found it really depressing for the teachers that they'd say to me that I was their only hope because I felt surely there were people within the organization who could help. Um, so I spoke to more and more people in the British Council, but just got the same response that the, the teachers weren't really the teachers weren't eligible for the scheme. But I, I read the small print of the ARAP scheme, which is a Ministry of Defence, an MOD-run scheme. And according to all the criteria of the scheme, the teachers qualified and were eligible. They had been working for uh, the British Council uh, on UK government programmes, some of them for up to 10 years, or no, more than 10 years in some cases, uh, they were all publicly visible and working within the community and all in re a real risk and in real danger as a direct result of the work they'd done for us. And yet they were all being told they had been excluded from the scheme. So at this point, I contacted the CEO, deputy CEO of the uh, acting CEO at the time it was of the British Council, the regional director, various other people and said, you know, what's going on? Why, why aren't they being included in the the ARAP scheme and I got various different answers um, and it, it turned out that back in early 2021 the managers and office staff who had shared the office with me had all been told about the ARAP scheme by the British Council and they'd all had support in filling in their applications and they'd submitted them all early to the ARAP scheme 
and they'd all been approved for the Arab scheme. And most of them had been relocated to the UK to safety before the Taliban took control of the country. And then the remainder were relocated during that time, during that tense month of August 2021. Yeah. Um, so the managers and the office staff all got relocated safely to the UK. But over 100 teachers who were publicly facing highly recognizable, highly visible, and had been teaching UK values such as equality, diversity, and inclusion, they were all left behind. One or two teachers were relocated, were approved for the scheme and relocated seemingly without any rhyme or reason why, why they did get approval, but at least there was a precedent. But the vast majority, well over 100, were left behind in danger. And, um, you know, we, we were all just shocked and thought this must be a mistake. It can't be that one cohort of staff is included and the other cohort of staff is excluded. So um, I'll give you, I'll just get my breath and let you ask another question. <laughs> no, I mean, it. it... Uh, I mean, these jokes sort of carry on as and as and when uh, you you need to. But if you need a sip of tea, by by all means. So, I'm in the timeline here. I'm in sort of well, I'm in August 2021. I mean, we all saw uh, the footage on the news. We all saw what was happening, um, and you know when Taliban control was sort of initiated. It none of it none of it looked none of it looked good, and. It seems it does seem extraordinary. You, you when you say you know the, the office staff uh, were the ones who were uh, relocated, but the when you were talking about the the people that were sort of on the ground, as it were, who were risking their lives daily, and as you say, were visible, were were clearly working for the British Council. They're the ones that have now been left in in harm's way, and all of a sudden been told that they don't actually qualify for this this Arab scheme. Which, by the way. The uh, the the documentation and the government policy for this is all online for for you to to access. I've certainly read uh, read parts of it, so it's not a not a big secret. It's it's there for you to to see, which almost makes this story all the more mind blowing, as it as it were. So you've now got this group of a hundred plus teachers who are in grave danger. I mean, they're still in in Afghanistan at this point. What then happened to them next when they were told, okay, the UK is not an option for you? Yeah, uh, yes, absolutely. Good point. I'll just say with the uh, Arab details that are online, they have been through various modifications uh, modifications since their initial publication, but the teachers still qualify according to the way they're presented now. Uh, But they qualified even more convincingly uh, according to the original criteria, which I still have copies of. Um, so yeah, the teachers weren't, you know, saying that the managers and office staff shouldn't be relocated. Obviously, the managers and office staff did meet the criteria as well and were rightly relocated for their own safety. But the teachers much more so met the criteria and were, were more at risk and should have been relocated as well. And so, you know, as as August went on and the Taliban took control of the country. And then on Black Black Monday, I think it was August the 15th or 16th, they, you know, took, took control of Kabul. And then they said that the, um, you know, people had two weeks to leave. And by then all the teachers were in WhatsApp groups with me. And we were thinking, you know, I, I obviously wouldn't say to the teachers, oh yeah, I'm sure you'll get out because I didn't want to make any promises at all because, you know, I had no idea. I, I didn't have any control in the situation. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, surely the British Council and the UK government will get them out. 
there's no way we can leave them there once the Taliban take power. Um, and then the situation went on. I think it was only um, on the 20th of August, I think, that the, the British Council said that the teachers could actually apply for the Arab scheme and were eligible. By that time, it was far too late. The um, Arab scheme was overrun with you know tens of thousands of applications. Um, we've since been told, I've since been told by several senior colleagues within the British Council office um, that there was a list given to the Arab team with the managers and office staff on the list, but with the teachers not on that list. And the team, the Arab team who approved, um, who was approved for the Arab scheme and who was excluded from the scheme, had been given um, the safe room in the basement of the British Council building to work from. So they were very available to the British Council for communication. So this is a, a very sore point, obviously, for the teachers. The British Council deny this and say there wasn't a list. But obviously, I've got um, communications uh, with senior employees from the British Council who say this was the case. And this continues to be a controversial issue. Regardless, the um, Taliban gave, gave people two weeks to leave the country. During that time, um, there was the issue with uh, a plane full of cats and dogs being flown out of the country. Um, I'm not criticizing the person who arranged this flight at all. All I'm saying is that all the teachers WhatsApped me and said, you know, are we less important than cats and dogs? We've been teaching UK values for the British Council and people are able to fly cats and dogs out, but we're, we're still left behind in danger. And, you know, there was just no way for me to, to respond to that really. Um, there isn't. There, what do you say? I mean, I'm, I'm a huge dog person, but even, you know, but I can still very much distinguish between who and what is important here. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not trying to criticize the charity or, or the individual who, who was, you know, arranging those flights, but the optics of it for the teachers were, you know, horrifying. They knew they were in danger. Uh, they knew the Taliban were taking over. And then, you know, following that, there was the incident, as you say, with people falling from the aeroplanes. And I, I still don't know when I saw those tragic images, you know, I'll never forget it. But I don't know if the people falling from the planes were old enough to remember the previous Taliban regime and were so afraid because of what they'd known before that they clung to those planes and then fell off. Or I don't know if they were quite young, you know, 2022, 20, didn't really have uh, personal memories of it, but were so afraid by what they'd heard about the previous Taliban regime, that it was enough to make them cling onto planes and then fall to their deaths. Either way, it was really tragic to see those images. And then not long after that, the, the bomb that went off at the airport and the tragic Gosh, loss yeah. of over 100 lives at the airport. And then the whole country was just shocked by this, this frenzy of fear during the Taliban takeover. And then the, the, you know, the, the bomb blast and just the tragedy and the sorrow and the horror afterwards. And then the country, you know, the last flight came out and the airport was shut. The country was locked down and all the British council teachers were like, you know, what are we going to do? We're stuck. And they all knew they had to go into hiding because there was so much talk within the country about the Taliban taking retribution against those who'd worked for especially the UK and the USA and those who'd been infidels and worked for the foreign occupiers who had occupied Afghanistan for so long and who'd stood against Afghan and Taliban values. So the teachers obviously all went into hiding and there was a real question about whether or not to, you know, raise this issue with the media 
and get publicity for them or whether or not this would put them in much more danger if we were to get, you know, draw attention to them and, and, and bring publicity to their case. So to begin with, you know, speaking to all the teachers and various other people who tried to support them, the sort of conclusion we eventually came to, and it was a hard conclusion to come to, was it'd be much better to stay silent because otherwise it would put them at real, real risk of being attacked or of becoming a bargaining chip for the Taliban. Um, so, you know, at that time I was constantly writing emails to the British Council, to the Prime Minister, Foreign Sec, Home Sec, all, all these, di- uh, the uh, Minister for Defence, all these different people trying to get some responses on when we were going to get the British Council teachers to safety, get them out of there, and the fact that it was, you know, you know, a complete scandal they'd been left behind. Occasionally I would get a reply from a member of parliament or a government minister, not very often, and the British Council would reply to my messages, you know, saying, oh, yeah, we're doing everything we can, but nothing constructive or conclusive. And as we moved, you know, I thought that was September 20, uh, 2021. I thought, oh, well, I'm sure we'll have them all out by Christmas. If they've got to wait in hiding for two months, that's really terrible um, and really dangerous for them. But I'm sure we'll have them all out by Christmas. I know they don't work on a, a timeline with Christmas at the end of each year. But, you know, for me, that was a a benchmark time I thought they'd all be out by but we're now three Christmases nearly since the Taliban takeover and they're all almost all still stuck in Afghanistan and Pakistan um so yeah we can come on to that in a minute I'll, I'll let you ask another question this show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. On the 24th to the 26th of January, 2024, Bet UK is back and even better for educators. New for 2024, Table Talks empowers educators to collaborate openly and connect deeply with like-minded individuals in the education space, as well as tech user labs, the brilliant new tutorials and working groups at BET, where technology users will learn how to get more out of their institution's tech from the top education technology experts in the world. Whatever your goal, you'll find it at BET 2024. Educators go free. Get your tickets today at www.uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. Well, that was that was going to be what I what I was going to lead on to on to next. So and we are a couple of years down down the line now. Um, and 
again, part of the reason we're, we're having this conversation is because very little has, has actually changed. But uh, my understanding is that we, that these teachers are still, there's still some in Afghanistan, correct? Yeah, that's right. There's, there's at least 30 in Afghanistan and at least 60 in Pakistan. And just describe the, the, from what you know, from speaking to them and from being in touch with them, how they're living at the moment or what the living situation is, is like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, since the Taliban takeover, they've been, you know, victims of, you know, some, some really terrible things. Um, a number of them have been physically attacked where they're at, um, Taliban checkpoints or uh, in other situations, specifically because of the work they did for the British Council. In some cases, uh, even people they recognized as people who they previously taught on various education programs who had then been enlisted by the Taliban had recognized them and highlighted this in one case at a Taliban checkpoint. And it's quite hard for you know local people who, who don't have much money or opportunity to necessarily resist um, uh, joining up to, to Taliban activity in some provinces where the, the, the Taliban are so dominant. And it's also the case that everyone in your community knows knows your business, knows who you used to work for, what you used to do, and knows that you were involved with with the British or the British government or the British council, or they might mix up all three and just think you were a spy for the British. And that's what so many of the British council teachers have come back and said, that the people within their local community felt that they were a spy for the British. So as well as being physically attacked, others have had family members attacked, or they've been victims of attempted blackmail or attempts at forced marriage. Um, and, uh, you know, various other horrific things. Um, so all of them have had to go into hiding and a lot of them have had to leave their own community and go and live somewhere else to try and be as anonymous and invisible as possible and go into hiding in a different town, in a different province. So they're unrecognizable. Tragically, there was one teacher who had worked for us for a long time on the connecting classrooms program who had to leave his, um, community due to threats. He was displaced and he had gone into hiding in, in a completely different area. And he was unable to see um, a doctor or medical care for his 10-month-old child as a result of the fact he was displaced and in hiding. And tragically for him and his wife, they lost that child. And it's, it's very much felt that if they'd been relocated to the UK when their colleagues from the office had, that that that, that tragic outcome may not have been the case. So um whether it's something as, as, as desperately tragic as that or the the violence and the threats um and the blackmail that so many of them have suffered it's been really hard for all of the teachers um so they they've been in hiding since the taliban took power and then in january or, or sometime in yeah i think january of 2022 the uk government announced a new scheme uh separate from the arab scheme which was run by the mod they announced a new scheme run by the Foreign Office called the ACRS scheme, which is the Afghan Citizens Relocation Scheme. And the British Council teachers were all told, you know, when this scheme opens, when the application window opens, you will have to apply for this. This is a scheme tailored made for you and various other cohorts, including achieving scholars and Garda World employees. So the teachers remained in hiding for a long time, all suffering various, you know, threats and difficult situations and also all of them unable to work while they waited for the uk government to launch the acrs scheme 
And that was launched in August last year. Uh, I think that was where, you, or July or August last year, was when you could apply for the scheme. And then later last year, they started to receive approvals conf confirming that they were eligible for the ACRS scheme and therefore eligible to be relocated to the UK as a result of the work that they'd done for us and their support for the UK effort in Afghanistan. And then since the beginning of this year, they've been being told to travel to a third country in preparation for relocation to the UK. So a third country is either Pakistan or Iran, uh, uh, with the vast majority traveling to Pakistan. That's the easiest and safest one to get to. And then on arrival in Pakistan, they're put into hotels to await relocation. So they're expected to arrive in Pakistan and then after a month or maybe two months, be relocated to the UK. But they've been waiting there in most cases for over 10 months now in limbo in cramped hotel rooms and guest houses in Pakistan. Some of them are on their own. Some of them are with their husband and wife. Some of them are with two or three or even four children, maybe all stuck in one small room. Some of them have new babies. None of them have any money because now they've been unable to work. It's now over two years since the Taliban took power. And so the first year, you know, they were in hiding in Afghanistan. They've escaped to Pakistan. They don't have work permits. Not only that, the visas they arrived on have all expired. And so they're at great risk of being deported back to Afghanistan and back to the Taliban if they're picked up by the local police. So the UK Foreign Office has sent an advisory to all of them to stay inside their hotel rooms to ensure they're not deported. And so for ages now, they've been cooped up inside their hotels with no access to work or money, no access to education, no access to healthcare, except for if they're pregnant and then only limited access to healthcare and no idea if or when they'll be relocated to the UK. So sorry to go on and on and on, but it's been a really tough two years for this cohort of teachers who had innocently um, been recruited or who'd innocently engaged in work for the British Council. And so many of them said, you know, this was a great thing for me when I got this job with the British Council. I was so pleased and proud to work for the BC and get this job. And it's turned out to be something that's caused me so much trouble and danger and anxiety and uncertainty. And two years later, I'm still stuck as a result of my work for, for the British Council. So, yeah, I, I hope that answers that question. Oh, most definitely. But um, in in all of this, I mean, and I know that, uh, again, these, these are sort of um, stories that you shared with me, that despite being um, crowned in these in these hotel rooms with, you know, just day to day, I mean, it it's after everything that these teachers have been through, it'd be enough to kind of really sort of send you um, um, over the edge. But there's been uh, sort of... An, I always find the word resilience a bit naff, but I'm going to go with it for now. Um, and the fact that the children are still being educated, that they're still kind of making the most of these situations. And the fact that, and you said you'd, um, you know, you've been sent photos of uh, children sitting sitting on, on, on hotel beds and um, making the most of the resources around them, which, I mean, is um, incredible. And it just, it, it goes to show that... Uh, you know, you can you can teach in any situation. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Lucy. And it is um, really heartwarming to see the photos they've shared. Um, as I said, there there's 
you know, they're cooped up, for want of a better phrase, it's not a nice phrase, but in these um, cramped hotels. And there are other Afghans with their children also stuck in these hotels awaiting relocation on either of the UK government's ARAP or ACRS scheme. And so there's quite a lot of uh, young children um, stuck in these hotels who, who haven't had access to education for two years. And I think resilient definitely is the right word because the teachers have shown real commitment to education, resilience and determination to put on these classes in hotel corridors, um, hotel lobbies and in their bedrooms in the hotels. And they've sent me photos of 20 kids sitting on the floor, sitting on beds, sitting on tables, all, you know, really engaged. I, I don't know exactly what they were studying, but, um, you know, it's it's fantastic to see how determined the the teachers are to continue to provide education um, in this case for their own children and the children of other displaced Afghans waiting in these hotels. Um, so that that's really encouraging to see and it shows what a you know credible benefit there'll be to any community they arrive in within the UK that that, that determined to continue teaching for, for no money um, but to ensure the education of the next generation or of whoever needs education. We have continually reached out to the British Council in Pakistan to ask them if they can provide educational support. They've got a very big um, operation in Pakistan, the British Council. Um, they've got a large office in Islamabad, and they've also got a massive um, global uh, digital education operation. They're experts in digital education, but we've never had any response in terms of providing education for the displaced teachers or their children. But it's great that the teachers themselves have taken the bull by the horns and you know provided this education for the displaced children in the hotels and absolutely the, the photos are really heartwarming to see of them delivering these classes yeah and i know you sh- i think you shared some of these on on on, uh, on your twitter as well so if people want to go and have a look they are they are able to um it does seem uh, and i'm sure you feel this too such a shame that given um the energy and the time and and, and that's before you know what what these teachers have been through um what you know they were clearly very dedicated to the jobs they were doing as you said you know greatly enthused greatly honored to be part of of the british council and what they were doing to then for then the british council just to not give them anything in return in terms of even just those those basic educational resources you know whatever that might whatever that might be pencils paper i'm i'm not sure what that would involve but it, it, I mean, it must, it can't sit well with you, Joe. The fact that you know, as someone who was also part of this, I and mean, I know you, you have campaigned tirelessly since then. So, to say you're sort of one of them is 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 not fair in the slightest. But it must sort of feel very sad for you in a way as well. Yeah, it is. You know, I'm I'm gutted and devastated by it. As I said, when I worked for the British Council, I loved working for them. You know, I got amazing opportunities to work in. South Sudan and Afghanistan, places I would never have had the opportunity to go to had I not been employed by the British Council, places where I was kept, you know, safe because of the fact I was with the British Council. So I, I, you know, continue to be a big fan of the British Council and what they do around the world and continue to appreciate the opportunity I had in working for them in these, um, you know, unusual places. But I am really disappointed with the way they've responded to this massive crisis with their teachers and I think that they're extremely lucky that the story isn't a lot more tragic than it is and it's really been a disappointment for me to see how they treated 
their former employees on this occasion. And, and I, it, it seems so hypocritical to me that we ask people to teach British values, including equality, diversity and inclusion, and then we didn't treat them with equality. We relocated the managers and office staff, but the teachers weren't included in this. They were excluded from this scheme. And whether the British Council or the MOD or the FCDO are at fault, whatever different stories and rumours you, you believe on this, it's completely unacceptable. And from the start, the British Council could have done much more to support their teachers, and they should have seen this coming from the start. They knew what to do to ensure that all the managers and office staff got out, and yet 99% of the teachers were left behind. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm massively disappointed, Lucy. You're right. It, it really is demoralising. And I think we did such, as I was sort of saying, not, not boasting, but saying earlier, I was so proud of the work that we did there, you know, educating Afghans across the country, enabling women and girls across Afghanistan. Um, the brilliant work that the different programs did should be the great legacy of the British Council's time in Afghanistan. And it's completely undermined by the fact that we then went and left all our teachers behind. So, yeah, um, <clears throat> it's left a real sour taste in the mouth. Yeah, definitely. Well, we've got uh, somebody who... Um would like to i don't know if they're going to ask you a question or just comment on what's been said uh this evening um the name is a little bit difficult to pronounce but i'm going to go with the handle which is mir surat please tell me at any point if i have absolutely butchered that but uh go ahead and unmute yourself and uh ask away let's unmute it should be the bottom left of your screen Oh, there we go. Go ahead. Um, Not sure what's happening there at the moment. If we manage to uh, to get you back, we will uh, definitely um, hear what you what you've got to say. But we'll we'll press on for for the moment. And if you are able to to speak in a moment, please please do let us know. Please do interrupt at at any point so joe we got to where did we where did we leave off just now i think we were talking about you know the feeling of disappointment in spite of all the the great work the programs did on, on the ground at the time you know the um yeah the sort of aftermath yeah 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 so it, i mean i suppose that at, at this point so we're 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 a couple of years down the lines so of two two and a half give or take years down down the line and uh I mean, and and again, you have uh, sort of dedicated your your life since then to sort of tirelessly campaigning. I know you've spoken um, at great length um, across uh, a variety of platforms to a variety of of different people. But and I know that you feel that there are sort of multiple organisations and uh, a sort of multiple letdowns, if you like. And that's again a very sort of a basic way of putting it almost but in in your mind who do you feel is sort of the the biggest letdown here who do you feel really have um really holds the responsibility for these teachers um well i i think that now it's the responsibility of the fcdo the foreign office to get them safely relocated to the uk and to fulfill their promise that they made prior to the Taliban taking over the country, that those who had worked um, for the UK effort in Afghanistan would be relocated to safety um, if they were in danger as a result of their work for us. 
excuse me, sorry, I need some water. Um, but um, uh, as as well as that, um, I think you know. So the the Foreign Office now are responsible for making the ACRS program, the Afghan Citizens Relocation Scheme, um, effective and successful. And it's been extremely slow and inefficient. And many commentators have sort of um, highlighted the fact that perhaps very much under-resourced compared to other schemes. For the example, the schemes to support Ukrainians who've also found themselves in a very difficult and tragic situation. But it has been observed that schemes to support Ukrainians have been much better resourced than, for example, the ACRS scheme, which has seemed to be very un- under-resourced and under-organized and inefficient as a result. So the government, I think, really needs to make a great effort to um, make sure the ACRS scheme is more efficient and effective in the coming months. And it seems like it's only because the Pakistan government threatened to deport all illegally present Afghans that the FCDO got its skates on and, and, and made more of a commitment to get those Afghans out of Pakistan sooner. Mm. Yeah, still and, a lot of, there's still a lot of yeah. British school teachers stuck in, in in Afghanistan as well as those stuck in in um, Pakistan. And the ACRS needs to make a better, uh, more effort to get them all out as soon as possible. And the British Council, for their part, need to advocate much more for their teachers um, and need to campaign much more effectively on their behalf and use their contacts with the Foreign Office who they've got extremely good contact with all the way to the top of both organisations to get the teachers to safety and to provide more support for them until they are safely relocated. And we've got, um, I say we, but there are a number of um, British Council teachers who are pregnant, who are stuck in Pakistan and Afghanistan, some in the very late stage of pregnancy or some with newborn children. Some of those pregnancies have got reported serious health risks and I've been contacting the British Council, as have other campaigners for these teachers, really asking them if they can provide support for these teachers or financial support. Again, it's very hard to get any support from the British Council for these teachers. And, you know, it's it's so it's a disappointment in the Foreign Office and the British Council on my part. Yeah. And I believe that both of them can and should be doing much more than they currently are to support these former teachers. And in in your mind, and I suppose in a way this is a bit of a, a, a well, you might not think it's a controversial question, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask it anyway. Why do you think? Uh, because of course, there's often uh, comparisons made when um, the the UK in particular responds to certain things, be it be it Ukraine, be it uh, the situation with um, with these British Council teachers in Afghanistan, in Afghanistan and Pakistan. Why Why do you think, or do you think there is a particular reason that it sort of gets shoved to the bottom of the pile? Do you think that it's maybe just not not seen as urgent? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I've, got, I've got no idea because I think it's an embarrassment to the British Council and the British government, the way we've treated our former allies and the way we've left behind and abandoned mm-hmm. the people who helped us and who went, who we went into this to, with together. So... I just think it's a shocking embarrassment. So I've got no idea why it gets pushed away. And I know that new tragic incidents arise in the world. And, you know, when the, when the terrible scenes unfolded in Ukraine, um, you know, on the one hand, we, we all felt very sorry for the people in Ukraine. At the same time, we were aware that this would also make the situations for, for Afghans even more challenging 
because they were no longer the headline news in terms of a global crisis. And then again, when the situation has, has recently developed in the Middle East, that again puts the you know focus on a, on a new tragedy, which is absolutely a real terrible situation for everyone involved. But again, draws attention away from the plight of of these Afghans who are you know really suffering and struggling. And you know I think even uh, President Zelensky of um, Ukraine highlighted this issue that his his war was now a forgotten war because of the situation in the in the Middle East. Yeah, and very much so for the Afghans stuck in Afghanistan and Pakistan. They are, as you say, at the bottom of the pile and feeling very much forgotten because the way they've been abandoned two years ago and the way they still feel, you know, left behind and, and forgotten by, by their former allies. Yeah, and I, and certainly when you when you talk about it in terms of allies and um, you know countries supporting each other, again, the something that sort of crossed my mind is, of course, you know, you look through British history or indeed, you know, a lot of European history. Um, and without going too dark, and I know I've got history teachers listening listening in. Um, uh, both both Toms actually are history teachers. So when you uh, talk about British history, you talk about colonization, you talk about uh, all these things because this all has a role in 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 what we're what we're talking about. The sort of the the feeling I got. I mean, of course, uh, you know when um, when things kicked off the um you know the uk had to had to come out eventually but it does seem you know throughout history there have been situations where when you know the poo hits the windmill as it were that uh the british are very good at kind of scarpering and uh sort of turning a blind eye to to things that are that are left behind think what well, i say things people that are left behind yeah, I, I'm sad to say that I, I can see your point, and and the Afghanistan situation is, is very much a case in point. And I think that another thing with the with the British government and the British Council, um, uh, but more generally the government, it, is that they perhaps underestimated how much those people who had been involved in Afghanistan would be bothered by the fact that their former colleagues had been abandoned, and how much of a fuss they would make about it. And, you know, what, while I've been making this fuss about the British Council teachers, I, I'm by no means the only one. Um, a, a guy I know, Victor's made made efforts to raise a lot of money for the teachers to get visas. Um, Graham, various other people I know have been really working hard to, to raise awareness, contact the British Council, um, speak to the press and try and support the teachers. And there's lots of people connected with the Ministry of Defence um, who are trying to support interpreters and different people who worked for, for the British and who, who've been left behind. And I think, you know, it is a shocking in this day and age that the UK government once again underestimated how much people would care about the people that we'd abandoned, the people we'd worked alongside, who'd helped us and we'd then abandoned. So, yeah, an interesting point. Because um, as you said, you know, and we go back to this whole British values thing with the, I mean, there's nothing short of sort of blatant hypocrisy, really. You're asking these these teachers uh, on the ground against you know kind of what they know is 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 safe for them to to promote these values with british as the you know as the part of the title and uh, they risk their lives to do so on, on a daily basis and then it's as if well yeah we asked you to do that but okay now we're not going to uphold our own our own values if you like yeah absolutely it feels like we were just paying lip service to it while it was convenient to do that. And it, it also seems the same, you know, all the time I was working on the British embassy, 
uh, both the British Council and more broadly, um, you know, the, the UK government were constantly referring to the plight of women and girls, uh, sorry, the plight of Afghan women and girls. And you could almost pretty much guarantee you could ensure some funding for a program if you put the phrase Afghan women and girls into the proposal enough times. And yet recently, when I've contacted the British Council and asked them to provide financial support for a pregnant mother who really needs support, I'm not getting any confirmation that that's going to be made available. And I just find it really disappointing. What what was all that noise we were making about, um, you know, supporting and enabling Afghan women and girls if we can't support, um, you know, our former teachers who are stuck in hotel rooms in Pakistan pregnant? So it's, it's, it is disappointing. I agree with you. It certainly seems like we were playing paying lip service to these great notions as opposed to actually committed to them. Okay. Um, I've got uh, Brent Poland here, who is a fellow Teachers Talk Radio host. Brent, what, what would you what would you like to ask this evening? Just uh, something's piqued your interest. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm one of the very few people, I think, actually, uh, that teaches um, Afghanistan, I think, uh, worked out um, that there's 567 uh, students currently studying um, Afghanistan, Iraq, and Operation Enduring Freedom, which was the original operation to go into Afghanistan. And uh, it's just shockingly not even well taught within our own schools, the the, the history of that whole region. Um, I often say, you know, the children, when you read uh, Sherlock Holmes, you know that Dr. Watson was an Afghan veteran. And, and he currently, the Dr. Watson in, in the TV show, he's, a, he's an Afghan veteran, I think. You know, it's the graveyard of empires. So many places have gone in there and made a mess of it. The Russians, obviously, even Alexander the Great. And the sad thing is, and, and Joe, it's brilliant what you've done, and, and please keep keep up the good fight. It is such a sad thing, and it's not the first time nor the last time that region has been forgotten about until it reaches a critical mass and until it's sort of... Um, becomes a geopolitical crossroads or, or, or it gets involved in something it shouldn't get involved. Uh, my question is, can can these people be extracted? Look, we have a shortage of educators in this country. We have people who have been, you know, through the British Council, connecting classrooms, which, which I was involved in myself about 10 years ago with the UAE. And I know how good the program is because I know that a lot of money was thrown at British soft power. And they do it quite well, to be fair to them. And it is something, even when austerity cuts were, were happening in the UK, and the British Council was always still getting decent funding because, they, you know, this was the influence overseas. This was a way of, you know, of promoting British values, promoting Britain, um, your trade links, uh, cultural power as well. And it was it was just one of the signs of, even though Britain is no longer at the top table when it comes to, you know, the superpowers, it still got that sway when it comes to, things like the British Council and the soft power that Britain has. And and it's really tragic and sad to see that all of that has been thrown under, you know, completely under un, undone, that the 20 years of progress that tried to be made and, and to be fair, you know, there was a lot of good progress made in Afghanistan again was thrown under the bus as soon as, you know, the, the Taliban had moved in. And it's just, it's, it's shocking. Can these people be rescued? Can they be brought to the UK? And and what's really, what's really stopping that? Is it the political will? Is it the, the the fact that you say, is, it, is there other issues going on? Is it funding? Or is it just embarrassment? You know, they, they, they just want these people to go away and hide and, and forget that this ever happened. Is it, you know, is it, is it a gaslighting situation um, that's going to happen? And, and what would it take? You know, how how much 
would it take to get these people in political capital or even money-wise to get them out of, of both Pakistan and Afghanistan and get them over to the UK? Where, let's be honest with you, we need teachers. So what do you think? Yeah, thanks, Brent. Uh, good questions. There are quite a lot of questions there. And I'll, I'll try and come to them. And, and I agree with you that the um, Connecting Classrooms program and the Active Citizens program, amongst others, and all the programs we're running in Afghanistan, were really good programs and, and some of them the ones that are still running still are so yeah that's interesting you've had previous involvement with them um in terms of getting those out of the country um those still in afghanistan are still waiting to get visas uh, and visas were hard to come by before the taliban took power and are much harder to come by now that the taliban have taken power um we've been asking the british council for a long time to provide support with visas and eventually, in June of this year, the British Council requested, met put in a request to the Foreign Office to to see if they could use some of their funds to support the teachers in getting visas. This It was far too late by then, and a lot of the teachers had already sold all their possessions to get visas on the black market. However, there are still a number of teachers in Afghanistan, um, approximately 30, who are trying to get visas or other documentation to get out. And I believe that the British Council could do much more to provide the support in terms of um, getting these visas and getting the what they call the fast visa to get them to the third country, Pakistan or, or Iran. Once they're in Pakistan, like all of those waiting in Pakistan now, it's up to the FCDO to put on the flights to get them to safety. And this seemed like a never-ending wait until the Pakistan government said they were going to deport all Afghan deport all Afghans who weren't legally in the country. And I think that now the Foreign Office are making more of an effort, apparently, to get the Afghans stuck there to safety. But, you know, until we actually see that, until we see them put on planes and relocated to safety, we, we can't relax and believe it because there's been quite a lot of false hope before that, oh, you're nearly there. Oh, they've approved you for relocation to the UK. They've approved, approved your ACRS application. They've said you can go to Pakistan and await relocation, and yet they're still waiting two years later. So although we keep seeing signs of promise, we're not, you know, we're not going to relax and believe it's happening until we actually see it happening. And what will it take? It will take the British government to stand by their promises and make it happen. And interestingly, when I worked at the British Council, we had various behaviours that we were appraised on, which most organisations do. And one of the behaviours we were appraised on is our ability to make it happen. And what shocked me is how unable the British Council and the British government have been to make it happen for this cohort of teachers in terms of doing what's right and relocating them to safety uh, when they've been unfairly left behind. And um, I do think it's interesting you use the terms gaslighting and embarrassment and denial because I think that the, the British Council was almost in denial about this, about the fact that the wrong thing had happened and the teachers had been left behind and tried to sort of cover it up and also gaslit the whole situation by trying to imply that it, it wasn't really an issue or the teachers didn't really qualify when from the start they should never have been excluded from the scheme. And I also think that the government have, and the British Council have tried to bury their heads in the sand about this and hope that the problem will go away, but it hasn't gone away. And those who are you know campaigning on behalf of whether it's British Council teachers or interpreters like the Sudor Alliance are or various other organisations, all these people aren't going to give up until their former colleagues or the people they're campaigning for are relocated to safety. 
So I think it would take, to answer your question as concisely as I can, Brent, it would take a more concerted effort on behalf of the British Council and the British government in order to do what is the right thing in this situation and what they've promised to do. And they need to make it happen instead of continuing to procrastinate, dither or bury their heads in the sand. I think that was a, a pretty pretty good answer. And uh, just before we um, sort of come to the concluding parts, and there's a couple more things I want to ask you, I just wanted to remind you all to get yourselves over to johncatbookshop.com and have a have a cheeky browse of of what's of what's there. There are many fabulous titles to sink your teeth into or to pique your interest. So do go and have a look. And while you're there, you can use the lovely discount code that Teachers Talk Radio has for you, which is in all capitals and all together, no spaces, JCTTR2324. And that gets you a 20% discount on whatever it is that catches your eye. So yeah, do go and have a look. Do go and see for yourselves. And uh, hopefully you can find something to, uh, to read and to add to your collection or your cpd collection so uh, i know i'm going to uh, make use of it so uh, i hope you do too so we have covered an awful lot this evening with this story joan i know that uh, there is more to say than we could ever pack into uh, an evening and i'm sure that uh, people have uh, numerous questions for you so if you if you do and if you would like to ask a question you can either uh, if you don't want to to speak to us directly you can use the little speech bubble below and tweet us a question or you can request to speak so if anything has piqued your interest we have got a few more minutes before before the end of the show so do feel free to to get involved should you want to but for now and i think joe really you've kind of touched on this uh, already but to kind of to recap your I mean, we've talked about everything from how you ended up in Afghanistan in the first place and everything that you did whilst you were there. And that in itself is a is a fascinating story um, to to be in in hostile environments. And and as I said to you at the start, it's it's just so out of um, almost the realms of comprehension for, for me when I think about my teaching job. And uh, and I don't know if there are any any other listeners in who sort of are finding it difficult to almost wrap their head around that to to begin with. I mean, in many ways, an incredible experience, but also uh, a very real insight into, you know, an environment, a country, a place that we hear a lot about, but actually, until you've seen it for yourself, it's almost impossible to picture what that is like on a on a daily basis. And then your um, you're working in um, in the embassy, or you're well protected, and all the rest of it. But your colleagues are out there in the in the field, as it were, working, risking their lives, but really trying to uphold everything that the British Council has sort of mandated, put in place for them. Really, kind of working, um, you know, within their communities, really being proud of what they're doing. And then it all unravels quite quite rapidly. When I mean, I'm sort of being very kind of doing a very sort of almost too quick a summary here. Um, and uh, then, of course, everything that happened in 2021 with the Taliban, of course, we all saw it um, um, in the media and all the rest of it. But again, you know, this this is uh, somewhere that is that is worlds away. And uh, in amongst all of that, these these uh, these teachers who had fought so hard, worked so hard, were abandoned, were forgotten about. And 
since then, it has been an ongoing fight to get them something and get them the, the safety and the the lives that they that they deserve. And it seems that sort of we're almost stuck in that in that twenty twenty one moment, and nothing much has happened since then. Would that be a sort of very yeah? Sort of... It, it's incredible how little you know, how little has happened since then in terms of the fact that many of the teachers, at least 30, are still stuck in Afghanistan uh, and many more, you know, at least 60 are now stuck in Pakistan um, because because at one stage they were all stuck in Afghanistan and they'd all been told that they weren't eligible for relocation to the UK. All the small victories along the way have made us feel like there has been a lot of progress because... Back in August 2021, we were told none of them are eligible for relocation to the UK. You know, they're, they're teachers, they're not eligible for the scheme, and that's that. And then eventually, through, as a result of many different things, and partly repeated campaigning, repeated coverage in the press, repeated communication with the British Council and the British government, um, uh, and just the establishment of the ACRS scheme, and then them all getting approved, or almost all, almost all of them approved for the ACRS scheme, and then moved to Pakistan for a lot of them, um, and a few of them have have been moved to the UK. So, although you could look at it on one hand and say there's been no progress, this is hopeless, because we've been sort of fighting for two years, we do recognise the small victories that we've had along the way and the progress that has been made. But it's now time for the government to put this to bed and, you know, finish the job and get them all safely relocated to the UK and fulfil the promise they've made. Yeah. Because, I mean, it it does seem sort of, I mean, that's the, after everything, that that's a minimum. I mean, to offer sort of a, a safe well, a safe environment where where uh, these these teachers can can raise their families, can educate their families. Um, it just seems it just seems the minimum. But I, I I don't know how how well it's clear how our government feels. Yeah, well, I think you are dead right. The the other way to look at it is to say, you know, if we if we go back to twenty twenty one, and where are all the teachers now? They're still all in Afghanistan or Pakistan, or almost all of them. Um, you know, there was a new CEO for the British Council in September of 2021. He's been in office for over two years now. And how much progress have we seen in terms of the situation for the teachers in that time? I, I think it's shocking um, that there hasn't been more progress and how long it has taken to, to relocate these teachers. I think we've had, I think we're on our fourth foreign secretary since then. Um, you know, I used to write to the new foreign secretaries when they came in Um now I might send a tweet, but you know I just feel like it's hopeless. Sort of contacting the foreign secretary directly, they're they're not going to respond. But we we've been on our fourth foreign sec, and uh, there's been a British Council, new British Council CEO in for two years, and still almost all of the teachers haven't been relocated. And if you were looking at this in a you know sort of from a results perspective, and a what does success look like perspective, then you're right. It really wouldn't look good at the present think- time. No, but I think it's also important to take stock of that. And I know that um, certainly amongst ourselves at Teachers Talk Radio, we, I mean, I think it's Tom Hopkins Burke that has a running tally of the education secretaries. He likes to quiz us periodically or the, indeed, the foreign secretaries or anybody else. He does like to, um, he's almost turned it into sort of a, 
a pub quiz, although in our case it's usually tea quiz because, or coffee quiz. <laughs> but the idea again that we've gone through four foreign secretaries in the in the UK, none of which have been particularly successful, as is painfully clear. Um, we've had all the time to kind of do that, mess around with that. I mean, uh, without getting too political about the whole thing, our political situation, I say our, your political situation, because I don't live there, your political situation in the UK is, uh, has been extraordinary for, for a, a long time. And again, when you put these two, those two things side by side, it just, again, almost adds to the real sadness behind this and the and and how wrong it is that uh despite kind of you know us constantly going through through different people none of them have prioritized a very real situation that has been ongoing that they are aware of and will continue to be aware of because it is out there we we know about it so if we know they know and it's the actively choosing to ignore that seems um the the most wrong in all of this yeah absolutely i completely agree and and you know from the start i've seen this as you know a, a an hr issue in terms of uh, a human rights issue because the, the teachers were in real danger at real threat and an equality diversity and inclusion issue in like the fact that they were excluded and not treated with equality or inclusion and i've also seen it as an hr issue in terms of human resources because of the way an organization is treating its employees. And I was recently heard something on Radio 4 about the, a program about the, the treatment of the post office workers and, and what a scandal it was. And, you know, it just reminded me of the absolute scandal of the way these British council teachers have been treated. I'm not, you know, trying to draw too many parallels. I know there's tragedies in different ways with both of these, uh, you know, HR scandals. But I think just in terms of an organizational uh, failure and a human resources failure it is shocking and we've got on the British Council we've got country directors regional directors and then we've got uh, you know a CEO and deputy CEO and as well as that we've got country uh, regional global HR managers or people managers there's so many levels of organizational um, authority and organizational management and so many layers and strata and systems in place to ensure that employees are supposedly treated well and treated fairly. It's shocking that this cohort of over 100 teachers were left behind and that almost all of them are still not yet relocated. And I know you've, um, again, touched on this when we talked about, you know, who's who's ultimately responsible here. But in terms of sort of immediate next steps, and I mean, I'm saying this like you haven't been doing all of these things for the last two years, as we have talked about this evening, but in in your mind or as far as you're concerned as far as um at-risk teachers are concerned what are the kind of the immediate next steps as as we approach another christmas another benchmark in the calendar as, as you put it where do you see things going in in 2024 yeah i you know i sincerely hope that you know a, a good number of the teachers are moved from pakistan to the uk before uh, the end of this year the Foreign Office has made statements saying that in light of the Pakistan government's threat to deport Afghans present in the country back to the Taliban, that they will make efforts to get as many as possible out of Pakistan before Christmas. So let's see if the Foreign Office can uphold that promise 
to get some Afghans, uh, some of the British Council teachers out of Pakistan before Christmas. Oh, I think we lost a slight connection there. I'm not sure what happened. Joe, have we still got you? Oh, not sure what happened there. Admin, can you still hear me? Loud and clear, Lucy. Okay, I'm not sure what happened to, to Joe there. Hopefully we'll get him back in a in a second. Joe, are you still there? Mm. Not sure not sure what's happened there, but um hopefully we'll get Joe back before we, we round out the, the rest uh, of this evening's this evening's show. But I mean if it seems that going forward with um, with this whole situation with teachers who are still stranded in Afghanistan and in Pakistan, um, and the situation is not not moving forward. But it's clear that, um, as far as Joe's concerned, where where the responsibility lies and who is accountable in terms of British Council, in terms of the UK government, um, and in terms of the SCDO as as well. And um, I should point you in the direction as well of of Joe's Twitter. Um, there's all sorts of information there and the photos that we talked about. So photos of the daily lives that these teachers are still experiencing and have been experiencing for a long time. And I think it's important that you go and see them. So it kind of brings to life what we have talked about this evening as well. So please do, do go and take a look at, at those. Um, what a fascinating um, and in many ways sort of sad conversation. And I mean, it's difficult. I always try to to end shows on a on a positive note, but with this one, it is particularly difficult as the situation is still on ongoing and as yet is is unresolved. But we can we can only hope, and I know Joe will continue to uh, campaign. I know that um, he's. Uh, you can go and have a look at the um, at risk teachers website. There's a lot of information there that you can go. And, um, and familiarize yourselves with as well, should you want to know more about what we've talked about this evening. Um, so please do go and take a look there as as well. It's uh, it's important for if you want a, a better understanding of what we've talked about. I think we've managed to get Joe back for the final moments. Joe, can you hear me? I hope so. Still struggling slightly there. Joe, yeah, you're there? I'm sorry, I got cut off for some reason. Oh gosh, we we were just we were just wrapping up, yeah. so uh, I don't know how much you heard and how much you didn't hear. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, yeah, thanks for wrapping up. Sorry, I got cut off. Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, gosh, no problem. No, we were just sort of saying because uh, often I, well, for the most part, I try to end shows on a sort of positive and on a high note, but it's a bit tricky with this one because it's still an ongoing and unresolved situation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's more uh, a hope that the, the British the British government and the British Council uh, live up to their promises and wake up to their responsibilities and ensure the safety of our former allies. So it, it's it's more a hope that something happens um, as we have been hoping for two years or more. Well, we're... We are all absolutely hoping alongside. And I was just uh, also directing uh, people to to your Twitter to see some of the photos that brings to life what we've talked about this evening as well, as well as um, your website, At Risk Teachers, um, where there's a whole host of information that you have uh, put together, that you have collected, as well as other um, articles and things that you have contributed to. So uh, do go and have a, have a look through those. Um, but Joe, thank you so, so much for joining me on Teachers Talk Radio this evening. I hope that um, 
you uh, have enjoyed your time with us. We, I've loved having you, having you here. And uh, we have gone for a full hour and a half. Uh, and I feel like we could we could go on, on and on, but uh, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure. So really, thank you so much. Well, yeah, thank you very much, Lucy. It's been uh, really great to talk to you about this and to talk to the um, Teacher Talk Radio audience. So thanks very much for giving me and at risk teachers the opportunity to share this um, tragic story, which hopefully is going to have a better conclusion in the coming you know weeks and months hopefully but just to say thank you to you and teacher talk radio for giving us the time this evening gosh no problem at all and hopefully we can get you back in the future with some with some good news and uh maybe really get that that positive uh that positive and happy um end to this story that we that we all desperately hope for so thank you for that um, all that remains for me to say is just a final reminder to get yourself over to the John Cat Bookshop to make use of that fabulous discount that we have for you, which is JCTTR2324. And that will give you 20% off anything at johncatbookshop.com. Uh, so please do go and and have a look. I know I've mentioned it a lot this evening, but you know discounts close to christmas it's a it's a good thing and it's certainly for those of you who like to to read around and like to um you know treat yourself to your own sort of cpd then that's the thing for you so enjoy that going forward there are so many good things happening on ttr this week which um i do not have time to go through but always stick with us there are shows almost every day so there is something for for everybody i know education tonight are on later in the week I know that um, we are weekly reviewing, as always, on Sunday. So plenty to to look forward to. And Emily, today... which is on now, use the link pinned to the space to join Emily talking about historical fiction. Oh, she's over on Podbean, is she? That is correct. Use the link pinned to the top of this space. Wonderful. So if you want even more Teachers Talk Radio content, you can uh, pop over and join Emily right now. But I'm going to wish you a good evening now and thank you once again to Joe. And I will speak to you all soon. Have a lovely rest of the week. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. On the 24th to the 26th of January, 2024, Bet UK is back and even better for educators. 
New for 2024, Table Talks empowers educators to collaborate openly and connect deeply with like-minded individuals in the education space, as well as tech user labs, the brilliant new tutorials and working groups at BET, where technology users will learn how to get more out of their institution's tech from the top education technology experts in the world. Whatever your goal, you'll find it at BET 2024. Educators go free. Get your tickets today at www.uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.